sensation and sounds built to stimulate around the eyes. Greatest and greatest wellness trends, treatments, and experience. Magnesium is naturally found in foods like. This is the Well and Good podcast. Tune in to find the wellness that fits your frequency. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. For quite some time now here at Well and Good, we have been fixated on discussing what happens when you don't like your person's person. In really close friendships, it is super common for both of you to be really invested in each other's happiness, in each other's love lives, in each other's career success. And it's incredible to have a source of safety and someone really in your corner. However, this can come with its challenges when one of the friends meets their significant other. I'm General Manager Kate Spees and host of this episode where I talk to Dr. Marissa G. Franco about how to deal when you feel like your friend is prioritizing their new partner over you, what you should do if you notice some legitimate red flags, and how to bring back some sense of the closeness your friendship had before your person had their person. My name is Dr. Marissa G. Franco. I have many hats. I'm a professor, psychologist, forthcoming author, speaker on all things connection, belonging, and friendship. My forthcoming book is called Platonic, The Surprising New Science of How to Make and Keep Friends as an Adult, and that'll be out in September. I became really passionate about friendship, honestly, because in my young 20s, I went through some pretty crummy romantic relationships, and my friends were really there for me. And we actually started a wellness group where we met up each week and we practiced wellness together, like meditated, cooked. And I just realized how grounding it was and how impactful this sort of platonic love was for me. And I felt like there was enough attention to how amazing and important platonic love can be. And there's often so much attention to romance. So I kind of was looking for many different books that were on the topic of friendship that really heralded it as the sacred relationship that it felt like to me. And I kind of decided, well, the book that I'm looking for specifically that's science-based and really, really rich and substantive, I haven't read it yet. So I guess I'm going to go ahead and write my own. I love that. And congratulations. It's so exciting. And why do you think it is in our culture that we just don't place the same level of importance and there isn't the same level of information available about friendship and how to maintain them? 
Well, I mean, if you look historically, you'll find some really interesting patterns. Like before the 1800s, love wasn't a part of marriage, but it was often a part of friendship. Like friends felt a lot of romantic love for one another. The sexes were considered too distinct for people to really feel close to their romantic partner and their spouse. So people got married for practical reasons. But our society is so different now, right? Where women don't need to get married to be free and to be able to access property and access jobs. And I think there's something around, like if friendship was as strong and as powerful as it was back then, it might threaten marriage in some ways. Like people could end up with their platonic life partners instead of their married partners and their spouses. And there's also like, Our culture changed around homophobia. A lot of it has to do with Sigmund Freud, where he created the idea of sexual orientation as an identity. Before that, it was just stigmatized for people to have sex with the same sex. And then what happened was basically all the behaviors that promote friendship became stigmatized as perhaps sexual. Cuddling with friends, holding hands with friends, writing love letters to friends, this was all normal before he did that. And so now I think friendship really deflated because people feel like they can't express how deeply they love their friends, that it might come off as inappropriate or sexual. After he argued that same-sex love was in fact a whole orientation and identity and it made people who express love to their friends more vulnerable to experiencing homophobic stigma, and that's men in particular. So there's all types of historical reasons why friendship has been deprioritized, but it hasn't always been this way. And in fact, Throughout history, friendship has been a lot of people's most intimate relationships. So if we think about the qualities and the support that we get from a best friendship or a really close friendship, what are some of the most important things that an individual receives when they have a really valuable friendship or friendships in their life? Yeah, so... There's a study that looked at factors that influence depression and what contributes to depression, what prevents depression. And the number one factor that prevented depression was actually having a confidant. So that's not just a friend, but that's having a friend where you can truly confide in. Like, you know, social connection is perhaps the most powerful relationship with our mental health, like more than almost anything else. Like people that have high amounts of social support uh, and no therapy do better than people that have therapy and no social support. So it's really the the best bomb we have for feeling grounded and at peace mentally and also physically. Actually, research finds that loneliness is as toxic for our bodies as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Like, it's wild. Loneliness actually affects how long you're going to live more than your diet and your exercise. Like, connection, we are such social creatures and we need it just like we need food, just like we need oxygen, just like we need water. We need social connection. So it's just central to our identities as social creatures, even if we no longer live our lives in a way that prioritizes it like we used to. Pivoting here a little bit, so you have this incredibly important friendship and they are, you know, a confidant, they, you spend a lot of time with them, your life really centres around this relationship and it's purely platonic but they're your person. They then meet someone, they fall in love in a romantic sense and they start to spend a lot more time with this person they move in with this person, their life progresses with this person. My my understanding is there are two camps. There is, I'm so happy for my friends and actually I really love their person and now the three of us hang out and we still get one-on-one time, but I really love hanging out with this additional player as well. 
Or you're in a second camp, which is I can't stand this person. They've taken my friend away from me and I feel like I'm grieving and I've really lost someone. Is that too reductive to say there's those two kind of camps? How do you see this dynamic? I mean, I think certainly we can see those two categories. I think there can also be an in-between where it's sort of like, I like your partner, but I also miss what our relationship was before you got into this relationship because it's affected our own dynamic, right? So it can be, I think, very complex to bring in a new person, especially when friends feel like, oh, I've moved down on their priority list. And it's hard. It's complicated feelings, right? Because we obviously want our friends to be happy. (laughs) And so it's complicated because we're happy because our friends are happy, but we're also grieving that, oh, there's this change in our friendship that I think one of the hardest parts is we don't have control over, right? Like, we are not able to decide when our friend gets into a relationship, and even if it fundamentally affects our friendship with them. And so it's something we have to adjust to. And the other thing that comes up around friendship is that because it's not a, a relationship that's often valued, people often experience when there's a loss in a friendship, which could be a friendship ending or even a friendship pivoting, something called disenfranchised grief, which is this grief that gets stuck with us when society doesn't value the loss that we have. We, we have trouble processing it because the way we process our grief is in community with other people. Other people validate it, they see it, they acknowledge the depth of the loss, and that's how we heal. So with friendship, often that doesn't happen. People are like, oh yeah, like that happens. Like that's normal. Like why are you freaking out about this? And so our own feelings about it become harder and harder to process. And I think that can also shade or taint how we continue to relate to our friends because we're not able to process our grief over the change. Yeah, I've seen so many friends go through that exact situation. It feels almost impossible to navigate. What are some ways that people can bring up to their friends that there has been some shift since they've met their partner? Yeah. So this is going to depend on a few things. My first question is, is this a struggle for you that your friend has found a new partner? Or do you have concerns over how your friend is being treated by this partner? Because that's two different questions, right? I can feel incompatible with my friend's partner, but also acknowledge that, oh, this is a good relationship for my friend and they're being treated well, even though I don't necessarily like this person, right? So you're going to navigate those concerns differently depending on which trajectory that you're on. I say, since I think we've been leaning into the idea that, okay, the the relationship has just sort of shifted things in the friendship, and so what do we do about that? I think we have to acknowledge it. People are so afraid of acknowledging conflict in friendship, and it's so funny because imagine we're in a romantic relationship and we never talked about conflict. Like, that relationship would die out quick. You have to talk through issues in your romantic relationship for it to survive, but somehow we think... Friendship, easy breezy. If we have to talk about an issue, that means the friendship isn't good and it's over. But ruptures are part of intimacy and ruptures are part of intimacy and friendship as they are in romantic relationships, as they are in family relationships. That's just what it means to be intimate with someone. There's going to be miscommunications, disagreements, different needs that you have to negotiate. You want to start with a framing sentence and that sentence should emphasize how important the friendship is to you. Like, hey, I love you. I value you. You've always been my person. And I know we're going through this change with you finding a partner, and I just want to make sure we can talk openly about it to make sure that our friendship stays strong throughout it, right? So you're immediately telling them you shouldn't go on the defense because this is coming from a place of love. 
And so that sits really differently than being like, you've been ignoring me, <laughs> you know, attacking and blaming. And we really want to stick to sharing our internal world instead of telling our friend about themselves, right? That, you know, you've been neglecting me. You've been a bad friend ever since you got into this relationship. Instead say, you know, I miss you. I love you. It's been hard for me to not see you as much. And it's inviting your friend to react to. You can share what your needs are then. You know, I'd love to see you once a week. Could we have a day together? And then you have to be open to what your friend says. And you have to say, how does that sound like to you? Or, you know, what are you thinking about our friendship? How have things been for you? So when you can work through conflict in this way, it's really an act of illumination. Like we're illuminating each other on how we can improve our relationship and treat one another better. It's a coming together. It's a, I'm trying to get my needs met, but I'm also trying to get your needs met. It's a collaboration. And so it's very different than how many of us may have been brought up to think about conflict where it's me versus you. It's I win or you win. And it's a power struggle and it's going to escalate and we're going to flip over tables or we're never going to talk to each other again because research actually finds that when we can have this conflict in open empathic ways, it's actually related to deeper intimacy in the friendship. It does not threaten the friendship, it improves the friendship. Yeah, and you're so right. There is such, I feel it in myself, such hesitation to have any form of conflict with friends because that's just not something, I guess, as a culture we associate with friendship. And so if we flip the coin for a second and you are the friend who has met a romantic partner and you're feeling really happy and your best friend voices concerns to you, whether they do it in the productive way that you just outlined or not. And to your point, it's concerns that aren't concerns for your health, well-being, or safety. It's more, I just don't necessarily love this person, or I think you can do better, or I'm not spending enough time with you. As the person on the receiving end, how should you process that? How should you respond How does that side move forward? Yeah. So a few things. The first thing is if your friendship has been otherwise healthy and then they bring up this issue, right? You know that your friend wants the best for you. You feel that, you know, usually they're rooting for you and then they bring up, I think you can do better. You want to start by giving them the benefit of the doubt and hearing out their concerns because there's a study that actually finds that women's friends can predict how long their relationship will last better than they can. (laughs) So your friend might have some helpful information for you. That being said, of course, like our own baggage and biases play into how we evaluate our friends' partners too. This is not like a 100%, you know, your friends are going to know your relationship better than you do. So try to hear out the concerns that they share. Obviously, don't let them like attack your partner, but just say like, what are the ways that you see us as not compatible? Or what are some things that you would want for me that you don't see me getting in this relationship? And that's very hard. You might be triggered. You might have to take some deep breaths, notice the emotions in your body so that you're not activated. But if, if your friends really bring up the concern around spending time with you, this is there's one thing that predicts how long our relationships last, and it's our friendships and it's our romantic relationships. And it's something called responsiveness. And responsiveness basically means when someone in my life has a need, I try to fulfill it. You know, like if someone has a concern, I'm trying to meet their need. And so, you know, if my friend is like, I want to spend more time with you, think about, oh, how can I make this friend feel more included? That being said, you don't want to promise something you can't get, right? Like you don't want to feel compromised by giving up to your friend, but it's really the idea of like in a negotiation, like where is the overlap between you and your friend's needs, right? Maybe you can't hang out every day like you used to, but you can hang out like twice a week and that's maybe would make your friend feel better. So 
It's really trying to figure out, okay, how do I get my needs met and my friends' needs met? And I, I want to make sure that you don't feel like you're being neglected. And let's figure out what that looks like. Like, what would that look like for you? What would that look like for me? And then let's figure out where we overlap and how we can figure out a plan that's best for both of us. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. A philosophy that I can really get behind is something that I learned from British writer Dolly Alderton, and she wrote about this concept in her first book, Everything I Know About Love. She talks about how when people first meet someone they're really in love with, there's that honeymoon phase where it's all consuming, all they want to do is spend time with their new partner. And as a friend, she speaks about how sometimes you need to learn to let your friend go for a minute, let them really double down and lean into that honeymoon phase because inevitably those first throes of passion will dissipate, life will even out a bit and your friend will come back and things will normalize a bit in the friendship. I quite like this idea because I've seen it happen in my own life and I do think that friendships go through seasons and sometimes you just need to know when your friend needs a beat to concentrate on another part of their life but feel secure that they'll come back. I wondered though if this was a philosophy that Marissa could get behind or if it's actually just avoidant and sweeping issues under the rug if you don't say anything about feeling a little bit neglected in your friendship. I very much agree with that. I think, you know, there is an ebb and flow to every relationship, romantic relationships and friends included. And I think the less we can take that as a sign that this relationship is doomed, the less we can catastrophize it, the more longevity our relationships are going to have. I mean, this is one transition, Kate, of many transitions that friendships are going to go through, right? Maybe your friends has kids at some point, or maybe your friend is grieving the loss of a family member. Like, all of those are um, things that are going to affect their ability to relate to you. The more that you can recognize that over the lifetime, this friendship is going to ebb and flow. At some points, I might feel very close to this friend. At other points, I might feel less close, but that doesn't mean I won't feel close to them again. I think we often think like, if this isn't working out for me in the ways that I want it to, then I have to end the friendship, like very absolutist, either or. But there's something to be said about salvaging a friendship, which means just dialing down the intensity of it, right? And so I think the question we should also ask ourselves if we feel like our needs are going unmet is like, at what level of intimacy would this still feel good for me? And sometimes the answer is none, but sometimes the answer is, oh, okay, like, we can be like, you know, more once a month lunch friends, maybe that best friends, and that will also feel okay for me. And that's what's beautiful about friendship, I think, that like, it's so malleable, right? Yeah. Like, you're still my friend, even if 
we go apart and we come back together and friendship is like robust to all of that. It's so true. It's not like with a romantic partner where once you get to a certain point and you're living with them, it's hard to not live with them anymore and change the shape of that relationship. You know, not impossible, but definitely harder to do. I think that people can sometimes feel conflicted between not liking their person's person and there being actual red flags in the relationship. Are there some ways to really identify which feeling it is? So whether it's just you don't like them or you're actually worried for your friend's happiness and safety, if it's the latter, How would one approach that more serious and possibly dangerous situation? Yeah. So how do you know the red flags are actually red flags? I mean, we know certain things (laughs) tend to be red flags in relationships, right? Like when only one person is getting their needs met, when they're trying to dominate your friend and your friend is sort of shrinking around them, when your friend's needs aren't considered or their perspective isn't considered, basically when your friend is becoming less of a person in the presence of this partner, when this partner is actively malicious towards your friend, saying things to this friend that are sort of disgrading, obviously if there's any sort of physical hurt, that absolutely should not happen. So those are a lot of the things that we see as red. Sometimes it can be helpful to engage in some sort of consensus sharing with your other friends. Like, I heard that this happened, like this was my reaction. What did you think about that? And is this a concern that I should bring up? Like using some of your other friends as a consensus building and a sounding board can be helpful. Sometimes people think it's malicious to talk to a third friend, but I think it can be helpful, especially when you have a concern specifically to like make sure you're taking care of your friend. And if it's coming from that place rather than gossip, I think it's fine. And if there are some red flags, we know from the research on women that go through domestic violence that women often go back nine times. And so we have to relinquish the idea that we are in control of whether our friends get out of this relationship because we're not. And sometimes when we push too hard, we alienate our friends. So now they don't have a support system that they can go through when they're experiencing all these red flags, right? So that's why it's really important to tread lightly. I suggest that Instead of centering their partner, center your friend. So instead of saying your partner is a jerk, if he's saying things like that to you, saying, hey, I I feel like it hurts me to see you talked about that way. Like, Hmm. and I love you and I'm concerned for you and I just want to make sure that like you're being treated okay. And, you know, I, I wanted to see like how that's for you or what are you thinking about this? So just emphasizing this is what I'm observing about how you're being treated and I love you and I don't want you to be treated that way. And I think, you know, I talk to my mom about this when I see friends going through difficult situations and she's like, Marissa, deep down, I think they know. (laughs) I think they know about that they're not supposed to be treated this way. And so the fact that you can just be that extra voice that that legitimizes the the seed of doubt that they might have, I think, is a really important role to play. Another thing I've been thinking about recently is how hard it has been to navigate these heightened times. There have been so many hot button issues over the past couple of years. It's a super political environment and it's created so many divisions, whether it be disagreements about social justice issues, vaccinations, or otherwise, it's apparent a lot of people have strong opinions and that is what it is. But how do we transverse such difference of opinion in a friendship? I think it depends on 
whether you want to continue the friendship or not. For some people, values can become so different and values are such an important part of their identity that if we no longer have values, people feel like they're not compatible with their friends. I mean, my advice is we should just take a step back and look at the larger pros and cons of the friendship, right? So for example, if like I have one friend maybe who's not into vaccines and I am, and this is a friend I just met, that's going to be a large con in relation to the pros. But if that's a friend I've had since childhood and they're really important to me, then the pro-con process is different. I have a lot more pros. We have history together. They've known me throughout my life. There's been many moments where they've supported me, right? And so the con is just going to be framed differently in light of all the pros. It's sort of like a balancing act. I think at all times, our friendships should be giving us more than they're taking away. But thinking more broadly about the friendship, right? We may have incompatibility on this one issue, but does all the ways that we're compatible, is that enough to sustain us despite our incompatibility on this thing? And, and we have to undergo a personal valuing process, right? And the thing is, if we're not authentic in our friendships, we're going to feel disconnected, right? That feeling of disconnection when you've always been close to a friend, but now you feel less close. That's because there's been a breakdown in authenticity in some way. And that can often happen when there's a values difference. And so I say, bring it up. <laughs> How do we best navigate this difference between us in a ways that allows us to show up most authentically in the friendship? Open up conversation on it and we enlist our friend in doing that to figure out how can we exist with these differences in a way that's best for us and in a way that still allows us to be authentic in the friendship. I'll be honest, it still scares me, even though I know the research right. says that this Pod. is the best way to go. It's, it's very hard. It's very scary. I wish it were more normal in friendship so it wouldn't feel as scary. But if you know how to do it right and you know how to do it from a loving place, any relationship that's healthy in your life should be able to sustain those sort of healthy conversations. So when we're thinking about these conversations, I imagine there are some ways to you know, really ensure that they go badly by giving things like ultimatums or saying, you know, really awful things about your friend's partner. Are there some quick things that you suggest when people move into these conversations that they absolutely do not do? Yeah, I mean, there's a few things. There's these couples therapists, and they have this term, the four horsemen of the apocalypse for like four things that you see in couples' relationships that predict that the relationship is gonna fail. Four things that they do during conflict specifically. And so one is just like stonewalling, right? So you bring up a concern and your friend just, just dismisses you and is like, we're not talking about that. That's very powerful. And then the other is contempt. Contempt is just you're talking maliciously to your friend. Like he sucks, mm. <laughs> I hate him, you know, just bringing him down. And that's very much negatively going to affect the relationship. Then there's criticism. And that's when you use those you statements instead of those I statements. So instead mm. of, hey, like I'm feeling a little left out, you are a negligent friend. You know, you don't care about the friendship. Never get into that you place, like always stay in the I place. And then the last of the four horsemen is defensiveness. And that's what happens when my friend tells me a concern and then I tell them it's actually their fault for these reasons. Oh, you don't like my boyfriend? Maybe you have a problem with people. Like you're not a loving person. You're not open to people. You're always jealous, right? Instead of saying, you know, I hear your concern. I know you're invested in this relationship. I appreciate you bringing it up. So those are four things that we should really, really avoid. Criticism, contempt, defensiveness, and stonewalling, because those are going to cause the conflict to not be healthy conflict. It's going to cause the conflict to continue to escalate and damage the relationship. And then what if your friend comes to you and they're having a 
problem with their partner, they're having a fight, you know, the relationships may be going through a bit of a rough patch. You know, honestly, I've had scenarios like this where the awful part of me feels a tiny bit of glee because you're like, yes, maybe they're breaking up. But how do you you remain a supportive friend knowing that they're probably not breaking up and it's just a fight or it's just a rough patch? How do you be supportive when all you want to do is say, 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 say they suck, (laughs) break up with them? How do you not do that and actually support your friends? It's about taking their lead, right? Like when someone needs support, we center them, not ourselves, because they're more vulnerable and we have more capacity in that moment. So if your friend is saying, my partner is mean or doesn't fulfill these needs about me, just reflecting that back to them. You might agree, but being able to say it, that might be your opinion too, right? But being able to say it like you're hearing it from them (laughs) is going to make them a lot more responsive and open to it versus you're coming in and putting your opinion on the situation. So just saying, hey, you know, it seems like you're really upset with him or he's really not fulfilling your needs. And and then taking it from there after you reflect back kind of what they say, which is just good listening skills, is asking open questions like, okay, like how does it feel for you? What is the path forward for you? You know, has this been a pattern for you? Like just sort of being a sounding board and a mirror rather than trying to take the opportunity to offer unsolicited advice in a difficult moment in their relationship. So what I learned from my chat with Marissa is that it's really important to have these uncomfortable conversations. I know I personally find raising issues within friendships really hard, but I'm going to try much more in the future to talk about needs that I have in the friendship and if there are things that are contributing to tricky dynamics. But something else that I learned is that it's really, really important when we're having these conversations that we're centering the right person. And so that means if you are talking about your own hurt or your own feelings, that you really center yourself and don't make someone else the center of the problem. You use I sentences. And then if you're holding space for someone else to talk about their hurt within their relationship, that you're really positioning them and you're not interjecting your own feelings and opinions. So I hope that you can all take something from this conversation and take those lessons back to your relationships and your people. And rather than letting things fester, we can get things out in the open and continue to have amazing, supportive friendships. On today's show, you heard me, Kate Spees, in conversation with Marissa Franco. This episode was produced by Taylor Camille, Ella Dove, and me, along with many other hands and brains at Well and Good. Please, please don't forget to subscribe, rate, and share this episode. Mixing and scoring by our sound engineer, Joanna Samuel, and our theme music was created by Madeline Lukomsky and Matt DiDomenico. Our show art was designed by Jenna Gibson and Karina Masonette.